always room for the wicked. There's always room by the sea. There's always room for no one. Or there ain't no room for me. There's always hope, said the captain. There's always hope if you pay. There's always hope on weekends. Or there ain't no hope today. On this episode of Playtime, somebody had to say it. My recollections from September 11th, 2001, and what they mean to us today. Hi, WC Turk here. Recently, I posted a painting I completed for the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks back in 2001. It has taken me a few days to codify my feelings and thoughts about that day and the legacy it has wrought to our nation and the world. I've told the stories of my experiences on September 11, 2001 in parts over the years. Not as a badge of honor, but as a remembrance of a terrible moment in our nation's history. In a bit I'll tell you that whole story. But as a historian and an author of a war memoir, the critical aspect is how we remember that day. Perspective is everything. Holocaust survivor and historian Eli Wiesel is quoted as saying, Because I remember, I despair. Because I remember, I have a duty to reject despair. Diane Watson reminded us that the parallels between 9-11 and Pearl Harbor are striking. In each instance, there were warning signs before the attack, and in each instance, our government failed to connect the dots. Historian and author William Manchester offers that the Japanese naval officers in dress whites are frequent guests at Pearl Harbor's officers' mess and are very polite. They always were, except of course for that little interval between 1941 and 1945. And therein lies the rub. The world may be rightly viewed as a family. A genetic history shows clearly that every man, woman, and child on the earth is related to a couple dozen genetic lines that which emerged from Africa more than 100,000 years ago. From those genetic lines arose a magnificent diversity of cultures and races, languages and perspectives on the world. We are all related. I grew up in an America beset by its reluctance to fulfill civil rights for all of its citizens and fully realize the Constitution and its Bill of Rights. Six uncles served in the most contentious war in Vietnam during the 60s. I have a cherished photo of my Uncle Don, a Navy corpsman on a muddy front line in Vietnam, circa the bloody Tet Offensive against the Viet Cong. Fast forward to September 1993. I'm sitting in a press office in Belgrade, Serbia, hoping for accreditation, which will help navigate me through the chaos and danger of neighboring Bosnia's civil war and front lines. The man who will make that decision is a Vietnamese UN official named Nguyen. He is friendly and cordial. He remarks that our respective nations were once at war. I know it is a test. I hold no ill will towards him or his nation. I've come to be a witness against the human and cultural genocide in Bosnia. He is with the United Nations now, serving a significant humanitarian need. We are on the same side in this war. I point out the irony to Nguyen and reveal to him my six uncles 
who served in Vietnam. Nguyen smiles wistfully and says he fought with the Viet Cong. In 1993, it was just 18 years since the last U.S. troops left Vietnam. Nguyen and I are now fighting for a better world. I predicted September 11th while compiling facts for my memoir of the Bosnian War, Everything for Love. In November 1994, shivering on a frontline mountain overlooking the besieged city of Sarajevo, I scribbled in my journal. The world seems to be tearing itself apart, subdividing itself along smaller and smaller lines. I don't mean to single out the Chicago-based talk show host Oprah Winfrey. Well, okay, I guess I do. She was a mere symptom of America's indifference to the world, but sort of a catalyst as well. Time and time again, Oprah and predominantly white affluent housewives complained about the violence and misery seen on nightly newscasts. They demanded less unsightly international news and more human interest stories about shopping malls, cooking recipes, and product reviews. Networks keen on cutting costs and building viewership were only too eager to appease this audience and pushed international news out of the way. They either offered no context, minimized disturbing dinnertime images, or avoided them altogether. So-called news you can use. September 11th, for many Americans, seemed to come out of the blue. It was unexpected for many people. I wasn't one of them. I was working at O'Hare Airport in Chicago on the flight line for United Airlines at the time. I recall glancing up at a television as I went out the door to meet an incoming flight. Smoke was rising from a reported aircraft strike in one of the trade towers. In the airline's business, every air incident gets the attention of airline workers. Theories and FAA gossip makes the conversational circuit. Everyone thought it was an accident. Many of us wondered aloud how any pilot could miss the World Trade Center and crash right into it. But that's what it seemed at the time. In passing, going out the door, I remarked, well, we'll be talking about that for a month. We dumped the flight, and I returned to the ready room. I was quarreling with a co-worker. Mid-quarrel, we both looked up in time to watch the second plane crash into the other tower. There was no question about an accident any longer. A co-worker named Chuck Simpson, a black man, was watching the live feed from New York while eating his lunch. Chuck was old enough to clearly remember the civil rights movement of the 60s. I remarked to Chuck, Are we at war? Chuck replied, This country would use this to attack brown people around the world. I don't know, but it sure seemed like that's what we ended up doing. But nothing happens in a vacuum. There was a catalyst to Pearl Harbor, in no small part due to U.S. policies against the Empire of Japan going back many years earlier. Justification? I don't know. Reprisal? The Japanese laid that out as their justification for the attack. Everything that happened in the Middle East and with Muslim nationalists around the world is directly attributable to the September attacks. The September attacks were caused in part to the collapse of the Soviet Union and to the loss of ideological polarity in the world. For better or for worse, the world did not react positively to that reality. It began to subdivide itself down 
into smaller and smaller constituent parts, each of those feeding off their own innate hatreds. September 11th was also due in no small part to America's imperial ambitions, especially for oil, the abandonment of Afghan freedom fighters after the Russian withdrawal from Afghanistan, and indifference, as many Muslims around the world saw it, to the genocide of formerly secular Muslims in Bosnia. A rich criminal with a grandiose ego was all too eager to wrap that ego in fundamentalist religion for his own self-aggrandizement. When he began to believe his own bullshit is anyone's guess. Sound familiar? The FAA was quick to react that day, calling a full ground stop over the continental United States. Planes were dumped and baggage returned to passengers who no longer had any flights. We were told to clear the jets and make sure that they were empty, then pull the jet bridges off the aircraft. Rumors were already circulating about stolen pilots' uniforms and unknown persons seen on the flight line. Everyone was nervous, resigned, and more than a little willing to protect my livelihood and mitigate the damage to the airlines and the nation. I grabbed the only weapon I could find, a mechanic's wrench. I'd been to war, but was trembling as I climbed the jet bridge stairs to a 737 parked at the gate C-30. I was relieved that the aircraft was empty and secure. There were more aircraft to check. At gate C-28, next door... The absurdity of wielding a wrench against potential hijackers after seeing two planes crash into the World Trade Center struck me. The silence on the usually noisy field was haunting. Back inside, a co-worker was in anguish over reports his flight attendant wife was supposed to be working on a flight which crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. Later, we had learned that she had switched at the last minute to work a flight back to Chicago to see her husband. Upstairs in the terminal was sheer pandemonium. All flights nationwide were grounded indefinitely. Beside the brontosaurus skeleton on display in Terminal 1, a woman grabbed me, panicked, at a rumor that the quickly emptying terminal was targeted by an incoming aircraft. I don't know, I told her, but nothing's moving for the foreseeable future. There's really no reason to be here. Although I knew there were still planes looking for airfields to land, I didn't say so, but a shiver of dread ran through me at the possibility. At the C-30 counter, a young blonde woman wanted to know about her flight to Providence. She said she needed to get there for her father's funeral the next day. When I instructed her to go immediately and rent a car, while she still could, she said she didn't have any money or credit cards. All she had was a round-trip ticket to the funeral and to get back home again to California. With that and a hopelessly defeated slump, she turned and disappeared into the terminal. I'm still haunted by what happened to her, though no doubt her experience was representative of so many others that day in O'Hare and across the country. Within an hour, the terminal was empty and silent. I met a customer service lady named Maria with a buddy, Brian Smith. We came upon a Mexican woman and her two children alone and stranded without food who did not speak any English. Like everyone else, their flight home to Mexico had been canceled. We got us some food vouchers, a hotel room, and a taxi ride to a nearby hotel. What happened to her and her children after that? 
Driving through Chicago's loop later that day with, with rumors a plane had targeted the Sears Tower, I was shaken by deserted streets and sidewalks, a scene that would not be repeated until the worst days of the COVID pandemic. That's what I remember from that day. So why do I tell you all this? All my life I have attempted to learn from the past, both in my own life and historically. This month the Queen of England died at 92. Was it really unexpected or tragic that she passed peacefully in beds surrounded by her opulently wealthy family? This past Sunday was also the 21st anniversary of September 11th, in which 3,000 Americans were killed, leading to wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, resulting in the deaths of more than 4,000 soldiers and perhaps as many as a million Iraqi, Afghans, and others. And yet, ABC's This Week with George Stephanopoulos ran the first 40 minutes about the Queen, live from England. I thought we threw out the monarchy. The final 20 minutes was spent in tacit defense of our would-be monarch, Donald Trump, promoted and sold by the so-called liberal networks. A momentary mention of the 9-11 attacks quickly transitioned to a white lady talking about her moment with the Queen and Tupperware in her kitchen, as if we're led to believe that the Queen actually spent time in the kitchen popping the lids on Tupperware. This really isn't about the Queen or Tupperware or Trump. But these are all signs of the very same distractions employed to perfection following 9-11. Companies and airlines received billions in bailout money from the government. These same companies used 9-11 to double dip, pocketing taxpayer money while declaring bankruptcy and stealing from employees and creditors alike. GE is the parent company of NBC and also owns Raytheon, a defense contractor. Iraq, which had nothing to do with 9-11, was sold to Americans as harboring nuclear weapons, which Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice described as a smoking gun in the form of a mushroom cloud. Colin Powell stood up in front of the UN, not with evidence, but cartoons. More egregious was that Kellogg, Brown, and Root which builds pipelines and oil infrastructure, a subsidiary of Halliburton, which the vice president, Dick Cheney, was forced, quote-unquote, to leave as CEO to become vice president. KBR, curiously, was awarded massive contracts in Afghanistan and Iraq, which the Bush Justice Department subsequently found was perfectly legal. The media corporate government ruse worked. Few of us questioned the wars. People were blindsided and driven to outrage, the media's preeminent motivation technique to control the population, or at least steer it in the direction they want it to go. Fearing the Muslim world, we sent our children as sacrificial lambs. The outraged constituents of both parties blamed each other for an ever-growing national debt, while power brokers and war profiteers found that controlling government brought the mandated and lawfully enforced windfall of taxation by fiat, and that was the ultimate contributor to our national debt. It wasn't people on welfare or Medicare. It wasn't tax giveaways or tax cuts to the 
working class or the poor. And it definitely wasn't student loan forgiveness because the banks received far more in bailouts from the government than a few students and their student loans. But then again, students don't have lobbyists working on their behalf. We, the American public, with our ever-shrinking American dream, are not learning the lessons of history or 9-11. We, the American citizen, allows ourselves to become fodder and portioned off amid manufactured partisan attacks against one another. And that is when the media dangles a shiny toy, we still can't see past it. And by media, I'm talking about conglomerates. I'm talking about a media that has a very specific political and social agenda. We should be supporting independent, truly independent media that takes shots at all sides, equally liberal, conservative, progressive, MAGA. To do otherwise is only to step farther and farther away from what made this American experiment great and what secures our true freedom. Not the Second Amendment, but the First Amendment, particularly with the press. A free and independent and honest press. If you can keep it. I'm W.C. Turk. Thank you. Music today is courtesy of David Stars. David Stars Music on Facebook and check him out on YouTube. David is a Berlin based artist from South Africa. Just a real